You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Although treatment for atrial fibrillation generally begins with medication, a drug therapy is often limited by side effects or lack of efficacy. Um, how effective is catheter ablation, and should it be considered first-line treatment for some patients? Our guest today is Dr. David Wilbur. Dr. Wilbur is director of the Cardiovascular Institute, and he's the George M. Eisenberg Professor of Cardiovascular Sciences at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine in Illinois. Welcome, Dr. Wilbur. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Well, we're going to talk about a very common problem in our country, actually uh, globally, the problem of atrial fibrillation. Maybe we could start with some of the problems with our drug treatment. So I think that traditionally, uh, drug therapy has been the mainstay for treatment with atrial fibrillation. I think there are probably two sets of issues. One is to First of all, the timing of when treatment is started for atrial fibrillation, and the second is to understand the importance of initiating therapy and the real risk of progression of atrial fibrillation. So what I mean by that is that um, I think many patients are undertreated or underrecognized as having a problem that paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, for example, is viewed as a nuisance that may decrease the quality of life for patients, but in fact, um, otherwise isn't a serious medical problem. What we know now is that in patients who present with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, so these are episodes that terminate within several days of their own, and the other kind, most common kind being persistent atrial fibrillation, where the rhythm lasts for more than seven days and doesn't stop on its own requires an intervention. Paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, particularly as when it first presents as an initial episode, may not recur. In fact, as many as half the patients who have an episode of atrial fibrillation for the first time may never have another. The time to intervene is after a recurrent episode of atrial fibrillation, and at that point in time, patients are actually at risk for future development of atrial fibrillation, and it turns out if you track this over time that after an initial presentation with atrial fib, about 10% of patients will develop the persistent kind, more difficult to treat, more hard to restore sinus rhythm. In uh, one year, 10%. At five years, it's as much as 30%. At 10 years, it's as much as 50%. And beyond 10 years, up to 70% of patients will now have developed the persistent form of atrial fibrillation. So the window of opportunity to intervene is early. So I think the first take-home message is that we need to think about not waiting until atrial fibrillation becomes established because then it becomes very difficult to restore a normal rhythm. So after the second episode of atrial fibrillation, it's quite reasonable to consider antiarrhythmic drug therapy. But it turns out that only a small number of patients will respond, somewhere between 30 to 50%. If a patient responds and has no more episodes of atrial fibrillation, it's a very reasonable step to uh, simply continue that medication until they have further problems. However, a substantial number of patients will not be able to tolerate medicine or will have a recurrence of atrial fibrillation. And once that starts happening, patients tend not to respond to further drugs. 
And sort of topic at hand today is where to put catheter ablation, and that's really squarely at this point of time in the patient's treatment. So once multiple recurrences of atrial fibrillation have happened, that an antiarrhythmic drug hasn't worked or isn't tolerated, that's the time to intervene. One of the points you're making is that the atrial fib that is recurrent may or may not be really bothersome to the patient, but it is a marker for a patient who will continue to be plagued by this. And as that chain progresses, it's more and more difficult to treat. Correct. So you're advocating for paying close attention and being aggressive with the treatment once the patient has declared that they will recur. Okay. You studied the efficacy of catheter ablation, radiofrequency catheter ablation versus drug therapy. Tell us about your study design. So the study was to look at the scenario that we had just left our listeners with, which is patients who've had an attempt at drug therapy that didn't work out. And that was the basis of the population that was studied. So patients with recurrent episodes of atrial fib, failed one antiarrhythmic drug. And um, in this particular study, there were some limitations on how sick a patient could be. So patients with advanced heart failure, patients with very severely depressed ventricular function were excluded from the study. And otherwise, patients were then randomized to receive a different antiarrhythmic drug than the one that they had used unsuccessfully or catheter ablation. And the treatment was then followed for about a year after the start of assignment of therapy. And the primary endpoint was the freedom from any episode of atrial fibrillation in the subsequent year. So that's a very stringent endpoint, but is, I think, probably at least one way that we can measure how effective and compare two different therapies. So the other thing that we looked at is that even if you had one episode of atrial fib, your quality of life, you might have a marked reduction compared to before treatment. And so there are ways of looking at quality of life by questionnaires in terms of patient's rate, how they're able to do things, how severe their symptoms are, and there are standardized ways of looking at this. And so we looked at quality of life as another endpoint in the study besides recurrence of atrial arrhythmias. So the bottom line of the study is that regardless of how you measure the recurrent arrhythmias, that in fact patients who had uh, underwent catheter ablation, depending on which measure you use, 60 to 70 percent of patients were free of any recurrence of atrial fibrillation in the following year, or that was only true for about 20 percent of patients treated by drug therapy. So this was a relatively dramatic difference in the reduction, more than 50% reduction in the risk of having um, any recurrent atrial fibrillation by being treated with catheter ablation. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright. Our guest today is Dr. David Wilbur, Director of the Cardiovascular Institute and the George M. Eisenberg Professor of Cardiovascular Sciences at Loyola University, Chicago Stritch School of Medicine in Illinois. We're discussing catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation. 
Dr. Wilbur, you were just describing the study that you did and the fact that the folks who had catheter ablation had a much better one-year outcome, that being freedom of atrial fib, than people who were treated with an antiarrhythmic. What other findings uh, were there in terms of adverse events or anything else you'd like to share with us about those outcomes? Maybe uh, the quality of life as well. I think the two other things are just those you mentioned, that in addition to the measuring the recurrences of atrial fibrillation, just the patient's own assessment of the quality of their life. And to start with, the patients that have paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, interestingly, have a very depressed quality of life. So, in fact, the sort of scores even before they began treatment were similar to patients who have coronary artery disease and similar to patients who have cancer. So that, in fact, atrial fibrillation for patients is a very debilitating problem, even when it's at a relatively early stage. What happened is that over the course of the study, patients who were treated with drugs had no change in the quality of their life. So even if there was some improvement in the control of their atrial fibrillation overall, their rated quality of life, how they're able to do things and their level of symptoms really didn't change much at all, whereas the patients who were treated with catheter ablation had a dramatic improvement in the quality of life and in most instances scored within the normal range that improvement that happened immediately after ablation and really maintained itself throughout the course of the study. In choosing treatments, it's obviously important to know even if something works better than something else that the risks are at least similar or not disproportionate in one treatment or another. So the other thing that was looked at were major adverse events that happened at the onset of treatment between the two groups. And it turned out that those were very similar. They, in terms of the rates, there are some differences in terms of the kinds of adverse events for patients on antiarrhythmic drugs. It was often experiencing such severe side effects and they had to stop the drug, that the side effects were debilitating. And in a couple of cases, actually had worsened arrhythmias as a result of the medication than they had before. In the case of the catheter ablation, there was one patient who developed some worsened heart failure, a patient with pneumonia after the procedure. There were a couple of other instances of uh, again, side effects that were all reversible but were considered related to the procedure. Overall, about uh, a risk of 5% of adverse events. None of these resulted in there were no deaths that were related to the procedure. There were no side effects that were permanent in the sense that there were no strokes. Uh, all of those things are potential complications of the uh, catheter ablation procedure but did not occur in the study. So I think that in addition to providing improved outcomes, it really was not associated with an increased risk compared to trying to go down the route of additional drug therapy. I know that we're still learning about catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation, and in your study, your study was conducted across many sites, 19 hospitals. Was there a standardized approach to ablation within the context of the study? The study was designed that there were certain things that had to be done for every patient, um, considered the cornerstone of the procedure is isolating the electrical impulses from the pulmonary veins from entering the rest of the heart. There are then some additional types of ablation or areas of the heart that are ablated in addition to that that did vary from center to center, but in fact there was no evidence that one technique is better than another. 
So in general, there was a uh, overall standardized approach, but did allow for some variability from uh, center to center. So I think that that's something that's still being worked out. Although right now there's not a clear winner in terms of the minor differences in how the protocol is carried out. I wonder if you'd comment, uh, you know, that the American College of Cardiology has a a number of registries, and there's been discussion for some time about the need for a registry to track folks with atrial fib or patients undergoing ablation. Would you care to offer an opinion about the value of that or or their challenges? I I think there's an enormous amount that we still need to learn. And one of the concerns that is very reasonable is for any relatively new medical procedure, can the results that are found in research studies be translated to the real world? That has several critical components for the catheterization of atrial fib. It's now a relatively widely used procedure. We have a great variety of publications related to both private and academic groups performing these procedures, and then it's certainly possible to attain the results that have been published in this study, not only in the academic setting, but certainly in the non-academic setting, and often for sicker patients than those that participated in the study. I think the value of registries and a follow-up of a larger group of people is to assure that, in fact, appropriate patients are being chosen, that outcomes are similar to those that are published. It's an enormously difficult test because many of these registries are voluntary and report on and require the accurate reporting of sometimes very detailed information. And without the ability to verify, one of the fundamental things of any academic study is that there's an outside agency that goes through literally all of the patient's records and verify that what is reported did indeed happen. That's a much harder thing to do in a registry. And so the potential advantage of having lots of information from thousands of patients undergoing the procedure is offset by more uncertainty about the accuracy of the information that's reported. So it's a challenge to conduct these registries, but I think given what can be learned and the importance of doing this procedure in a safe and effective way requires that we work hard at trying to make it happen. I guess the only thing I would add is that the study really adds to a body of work now that clearly demonstrates that for paroxysmal atrial fibrillation that doesn't respond to initial drug therapy, that catheter ablation provides far superior outcomes in terms of freedom from atrial fibrillation and quality of life. This was one of the largest, but it's a series of now five multicenter studies that looked at this issue, all of which have very similar results. We've been talking with Dr. David Wilbur, Director of the Cardiovascular Institute and George M. Eisenberg Professor of Cardiovascular Sciences at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine in Illinois. Dr. Wilbur, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, It's a pleasure to talk with you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.